This afternoon we'll hear the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the Church in Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you'd like to read along, you can find that on page 517 in the Book of Praise. Here the church confesses, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has wholly paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the word comfort is a difficult word to define. It is often associated with the feeling of safety and peace. So we speak uh, about being in the comfort of our homes. And we mean that we are in a place where we can relax and we know what is expected of us. When we experience this comfort, it often brings us a sense of freedom and contented happiness. Comfort is also related to being understood so that we have confidence to speak and to act. It is a great comfort to have a friend who listens to us without condemning and we also like to be in relationships where we feel comfortable enough to speak the truth without being afraid of being pushed away, rejected because of our words. Comfort is also an action word that involves consoling someone who is facing a sad or a difficult situation by standing beside them in their distress, understanding and looking with that person to a certain promise or a guarantee that may give them hope. When we comfort someone, we stand beside them with our arm around them. And then when we have properly grieved with them, we point to something beyond us both that can serve as a comfort, can restore hope. Sadly, there are many people in the world who live without comfort because they cannot see anything that might give them hope. For as we saw in Ecclesiastes, without the knowledge of God, everything at the, its base, its source is meaningless and vanity. Sometimes when a person has rejected the triune God, there is nothing we can say to comfort them. That's a very difficult place 
to be. By God's grace, those who believe in God will never have to experience life or death without having any comfort. That's the the joy of our confession in Lord's Day 1. And this truth has always been enjoyed by God's people. We get a glimpse of this comfort in the passage we read from 2 Kings 19. When the people of Israel were surrounded by powerful and and wicked enemies who were seeking to destroy their, their nation, their lives, their livelihood, Isaiah and Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, revealed what a comfort it is to know that our lives are in God's hands. And I preach to you the gospel of our comfort in the Lord under this theme, that comfort is knowing that our lives are in God's hands. We'll see that his hands are there to claim us. They are open to receive us and strong to preserve us. So you look at 2 Kings 19, you can see that when Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord to humbly pray to God, he and his country were in an impossible situation. The powerful king, the Assyrian king Sennacherib, had swept down from the north and had destroyed every nation in his path that had allied themselves against him. And Judah was the next ally on the list to be destroyed after Phoenicia and Philistia and Egypt. The tribute that King Hezekiah sent to the king of Assyria that he had taken out of the temple, the gold that he had taken out of the temple, it hadn't even slowed Sennacherib down at all. And after destroying all the towns and the fortified cities in Judah, his field commander, the Rab Shakeh, was setting up siege around the capital city, around Jerusalem, the last piece of Judah left. And 2 Kings chapter 18 shows that the Rab Shakeh was a genius in psychological warfare. If you read that at home, you'll see what he did. He spoke to the people as if Assyria was guaranteed to win the war. He even invited the inhabitants of Judah to a happy life with him if they would just deny their God, deny the king Hezekiah. He taunted them. He says, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can find riders for them. He demoralized the people by mocking the weakness of their nation and their God. And the problem for Judah and all the inhabitants hearing these words was that the powerful Assyrian army gave credence to the Rab Shakeh's words. And it was very hard not to doubt that their faith in God could help them. And the people of God were silent, but they were in need of comfort. And the Lord used these hard times to drive them to their knees, to drive them to repentance as they sought their comfort outside of themselves. Hezekiah's report to Isaiah that we read in the first verses of chapter 19, verses 3 and 4, his report showed that he understood 
what he needed to know in order to live and die in the joy of the comfort from God as we confess it in the second question and answer. He knew his sins and his misery. He recognized that the Lord had sent the Assyrians to rebuke the people of Judah with distress and disgrace. He understood the the deep spiritual issues involved in the crisis, and he humbled himself before the Lord, not only to seek deliverance from his enemies, but also to seek the forgiveness of his sins. He confessed to Isaiah that he wanted the people to continue to live in thankfulness, the third thing he needed to know, so that they would do more than just bring children to the point of their birth, but that they would also bring forth children. Hezekiah's humility before the Lord allowed him to live and die in the joy of the comfort of knowing that he was not his own, but he belonged body and soul, both in life and death, to his faithful Savior. And after receiving the reassuring news from Isaiah, verses 6 and 7, telling him not to be afraid, and then after receiving a letter that was full of more stinging mockery from his enemy that we read about in verses 9 to 13, Hezekiah realized his hands were empty. He simply threw himself upon the mercy of God in humble prayer. And in his prayer, he showed that he understood that his people belonged to God and that God was then responsible to care for them as his own possession. Hezekiah understood that the name of God the King was on the heads of his loyal subjects, his people, and that their names were inscribed in the palms of his hand. That's what Isaiah had been prophesying. It's like we sang in Psalm 107 that they were oppressing God's own. And Hezekiah's prayer is based on the special relationship that God has with his people after he claimed them for his own. As we sang in Psalm 147, he dealt thus with no other nation. They were special. They were his possession. The God of Israel, says Hezekiah in his prayer, was enthroned above the cherubim as he dwelt among them in the temple. And he inclines his ear. He hears our prayers because we are his. The Lord has identified himself with his church, with his people on earth so closely that Hezekiah can end his prayer begging his father. This is verse 19. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. It is a wonderful comfort to know that we belong to the Most High God, whose name and reputation are directly connected to our well-being. The covenant promises of God that are signified and sealed to us already in holy baptism are an ever-present 
source of hope and comfort. And the Lord confirmed his stated love for his people even more clearly when he fulfilled his plans to deliver us from our sins and misery through his Son, Jesus Christ. Today, when we speak about being the possession of the Almighty God, we do so confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We saw in Philippians 2, verse 11. He is our Lord because he fully paid for all our sins and he bought us with his precious blood to make us his own possession. In the work of his son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who dwells in the hearts of his believers like a temple, the Lord our God has shown that he reaches down into the world, that he claims you as his own. He claims us as his own people. And the connection between God and his people who believe in him, that connection is so close that we can say that if that when God gives us anything that we ask for in his name, he is giving it to his own body. And the Holy Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, like we sang in Psalm 147, who knows the stars by name, he claims us as his own. He knows our names. He knows your name. And even the very number of hairs on our heads. Psalm 139 says it so clearly. He knit us together in our mother's womb so that our frame was not hidden from him when we were being made in secret. His eyes saw our unformed substances and he wrote in his book the days that he formed for us when as yet there was none of them. We are never alone when we are part of the household of God. God always understands our thoughts and feelings. And in his unconditional love for us, his hands are also open to receive us. You see, when we don't know someone very well, we may hesitate to speak to them or open up our hearts to them. However, when we know that the other person, we know him as our God who claims us as his own, he has called us his beloved people, he has called us several times in the Old Testament the apple of his eye, he has loved us unconditionally, he has forgiven our sins repeatedly. He knows us also in our weakness. He has promised to bless us with his presence among us. Well, then we are not afraid to come into his presence to entrust our secrets, our fears, our sins, and yes, our, our very own hearts into his hands. As we find comfort in the open hands of a friend who, who listens so also Hezekiah then urged everyone in this time of distress to, to humbly pray to the Lord for comfort. He does so in the first five verses of 2 Kings. And then later he himself came into the presence of the Lord and he opened that letter that had caused him so much distress. And the letter spread 
before the Lord made it clear that the king of Assyria was mocking the Lord and it made it clear that Hezekiah was powerless to do anything about it. His only comfort in this time of certain death was that the God who had claimed him as his own would not despise a broken and contrite heart, like we sang in Psalm 51 this morning. Perhaps remembering that song penned by his forefather David, Hezekiah tore his clothes and put on sackcloth as he threw himself upon the will of his father in heaven. Although the, the people may have been tempted for a while to walk into the open arms of the Assyrians who were offering them some form of, of peace under their own uh, tree with their own cistern, it was the promise of their heavenly Father's open arms that gave them true comfort and peace. Perhaps thinking of the prayer of King Solomon when the temple was dedicated, Hezekiah knew that the Lord who dwells in the highest heavens, who would remain attentive day and night to the prayers of his people in the temple, even in times of extreme hardship, would hear this prayer. It's a great comfort to know that the God who made us, who claims us for his own, is also a God who is attentive. He is a God who hears our cries. His hands are open to receive us. And Hezekiah's faith in the Lord's open hands to hear him was confirmed when the Lord answered Hezekiah through his prophet Isaiah and said to him, do not be afraid. Now the Lord could have mentioned Hezekiah's bad political decisions that caused a lot of his suffering. The Lord could have mentioned his lack of trust in God when Hezekiah was seeking alliances with surrounding nations. The Lord could have said, yes, Hezekiah, but, but you stripped my temple of, of all its gold and silver in order to give tribute to my enemy. And yet the Lord did not bring up any of these things. The Lord's hands were open to receive him because Hezekiah humbled himself before him. Because the Lord had promised in his son the forgiveness of sins to those who entrust themselves into his mercy. And so he just said to him in verse 20, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And then he prophesied about Sennacherib's destruction and even dealt tenderly with Hezekiah by giving him that, that sign about the harvest that we read about. Within three years, you'll be sowing and reaping again. The Lord is gracious and merciful to us when we turn to him in humility and confession of our sins and weakness. Brothers and sisters, besides the fact of knowing that we belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, we also confess in Lord's Day 1 that we may live assured 
of the certainty of God's promises, assured all the way up to eternal life. We confess that the Holy Spirit assures us that God will not reject us when we humble ourselves before him. He will not leave us in the power of the evil one, of the enemy, when we seek him with all our hearts, when we pray to him in humble dependence and confession in our weakness. He hears our prayer. When we spread out the list, the letter that contains everything that is causing us our fear, our anxiety, our sorrow, our anger, and our envy. We spread it out before the Father and we tell him that we can't do it, but we know that he can. Then we can be comforted to know that he hears us. He understands where we are. He loves us and he cares for us. When we turn to the Lord, his arms are open to receive us. And when we are there in his hands, we can know that we belong to him, body and soul, both in life and in death. Nothing, we read in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from his love. And he will ensure that all things, good things, bad things, sad things, scary things, all things must work together for our salvation. His hands are strong to preserve us. And that's the resounding theme in 2 Kings 19, isn't it? That the Lord is sovereign and holy and very, very powerful. He is a God who hears the words of people who are mocking him and who are reviling him. And he is able to rebuke their arrogance. He shows that he is not like the so-called gods of wood and stone that have been made by the hands of men. King Hezekiah said it so beautifully when he confessed in verse 15, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. And so in his prophecy against Sennacherib that we also read together, our God points out that the king of Assyria has raised his voice against the wrong one. He has raised his voice against the Holy One of Israel, the one who had given Assyria its strength in order to be an instrument in his hand exactly as he had prophesied. See that in verses 23 to 26. The Lord our God knows what is in the hearts of all the kings of the earth. Verse 27 says, he knows they're, they're sitting down they're going out, they're coming in. They even know that they are ultimately raging against him. Nothing is outside of the plan of our God. And so he can assure King Hezekiah that if God plans to defend the city of Jerusalem, not even one arrow shall be shot against it before the king of Assyria rushes home like a dog with his tail between his legs. The Lord explains to Hezekiah that he will defend Jerusalem, and then he says in verse 34, for his own sake and for the sake of his servant David, pointing ahead to the promise of Jesus Christ, 
And so he teaches us that his, his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ will succeed over all the forces of evil. These hands of the Lord Almighty are the hands that are holding us, his people who depend on him. He keeps his promises. Nothing can thwart his promises. Even if an enemy should be right around the city, threatening, mocking, powerful to take us, the Lord will keep his word. And in his zeal, he has always preserved and kept the remnant of the faithful who fear and serve him. And so we can confess without a shadow of a doubt that he also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. And when our Lord Jesus came, fulfillment of the promise and the plan of God, and he taught us about his work and what that means for, for our lives, he showed us how God fulfilled his promises for his people. He says in John 10, verses 27 to 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then in this high priestly prayer, that's the prayer in John 17, the Lord Jesus praying to his Father in heaven for the apostles and all those who believe in him through their word. He prayed that the Father might guard his church when that church is hated by the world, that the, the Father might sanctify them in the truth of the word so that they might be one. And brothers and sisters, we find comfort in the Lord's answer to Jesus' prayer. For the Lord has preserved us and guarded us even to this day. We are safely kept in his care. We know that he will preserve us and, and keep us according to his plan. He has given us his Holy Spirit to, to sanctify us through his word to keep us separated from the world and dedicated to the truth of the gospel. And it is in the assurance of our eternal life and in our ongoing hearty willingness and readiness to follow him, to dedicate ourselves to him, that we receive this comfort both in life and in death. No matter what we are facing, we are in the hands of the sovereign God. We can commit our whole life to him. We can, we can throw ourselves upon him and know that his hands are there holding us. And so we find comfort in his promise, even when it doesn't look so comforting around us. The Lord will not drop us, for he has claimed us 
as his own. He will not turn away from us because we are his. We belong to him. He has sent his very own son to purchase us with his own blood shed on the cross. He will preserve us because he is God of gods and Lord of lords and no one can hinder his gracious saving plan. It's not always easy to give a verbal definition of the word comfort, but we can feel it because although it means different things for different people at different times, we who believe in our awesome triune God, we know what the word means by the experience that we have in every situation in our lives. We know that comfort doesn't mean that we will never suffer or be afraid or sad. At the same time, we also know that comfort doesn't mean that we will never be attacked, that we will only have an easy life. At the same time, we know we don't need hardships and trials to experience true comfort from God, for comfort is, is knowing and experiencing that our, hand, our lives are in the hands of our God. Every day, in all circumstances, we can tell ourselves, yes, my life is in the hands of a sovereign God. And we can comfort one another by, by pointing to the one who is greater than all. He is a creator, our creator, who understands us, our Father, who loves us, who sent his own son for us, the Holy One who preserves us. None can pluck us from his hands. That is our comfort in life and in death. Amen.